This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Clotty. And here's what's coming up. Villages, schools, and health facilities have been flooded. And many water points and sanitation uh, facilities are no longer functional. That's Ocha spokesman Jens Lark on the worst floods in Congo Brazzaville in six decades. Also, IGAD has called for a ceasefire in Sudan and urged Ethiopia to respect Somalia's territorial sovereignty. And all this and more coming up on African News Tonight. The United Nations reports more than 350,000 people have been devastated by the worst floods to hit Congo Brazzaville in six decades and urgently need humanitarian assistance. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Official government figures put the death toll at 23, with 6,178 recorded displacements. The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs says it expects these figures to increase as UN and other agencies gain access to flooded areas. Archer spokesman Jens Layerke says a total of 1.8 million people are affected by this flood disaster. He says gaining access to them is a challenge because the heavy flooding has caused severe damage to much of the infrastructure. He says many villages only can be reached by boat or canoe. He says the floods have left local communities without shelter or access to primary health services. Villages schools and health facilities have been flooded and many water points and sanitation uh, facilities are no longer functional. <clears throat> There's limited or no access to clean drinking water or sanitation in the worst affected areas and that is in the central north of the country. Some 20 7,000 children are out of school. Extreme rainfall since October has caused the banks around the Ubangi River, a tributary to the Congo River, to burst. The government declared a flood emergency on December 29th. Layarki says UN agencies and the government have developed a response plan with a budget of some $26 million. Priority needs, he says, include shelter, food, nutrition, health, and water, sanitation, and hygiene. But that's just the immediate response. The floods could also have longer-term consequences. Our initial assessment estimates that 2,300 hectares of cultivated land have been flooded, which raises concern that means to produce food, for example, fruit trees and fishing gear, has been destroyed and livestock has perished. Laerke says the UN has released $3 million from its emergency fund to provide immediate aid to 270,000 people in dire straits. These catastrophic events were not unexpected. In a seasonal forecast for October, November, December, the World Meteorological Organization predicted exceptionally heavy rainfall because of the El Nino phenomenon. The UN Weather Agency says lives could have been saved and the extent of damage could have been lessened had early warning systems been in place. However, it notes building such a system takes money, which the country does not have. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. 
A report by the Russian newspaper Vedemosti says Russia is preparing to launch a new military force in Africa, dubbed the African Legion, which will replace the controversial Wagner group of mercenaries. Sources close to the Russian Ministry of Defense say the African Legion will be activated this summer and will operate in five African countries, Burkina Faso, Libya, Mali, the Central African Republic and Niger. According to the U.S. State Department, the African Legion is planning to carry out large-scale military operations on the continent to counteract Western influences. VOA senior analyst Mohamed El Shinari discussed this development with David Deroche, associate professor at the National Defense University. Well, this is basically an effort to get the benefits of the Wagner Group without the drawbacks. So the Wagner Group initially operated sort of below the table. The Russian government denied that it was part of Russia. They said, oh, no, this is just an independent group. But of course, you saw the problems with that independence when the Wagner Group broke with the Russian MOD. So in spite of the fact that the Wagner Group was not too effective in Ukraine, it was a lucrative and uh, militarily effective force in most of Africa. So Russia doesn't want to give that capability up, so they're trying to reconstitute it in a way that's easier to control. The sources said the African Legion will be directly subordinate to the Ministry of Defense. Russia created the African Legion to replace the Wagner Group, which faced, as you said, legal and political challenges for its activities in Africa. Would that change give some legitimacy to Russian military presence in Africa? I don't think so. So I think that what this is trying to do is to recruit a high level of person, soldier, potential soldier to conduct operations in Africa. The challenge here is going to be that we've seen, you know, the Russian manpower shortages in Ukraine where people aren't really eager to serve. I think that what may happen with an MOD affiliated group is that people may join up thinking they're going to go to Mali, which is, you know, relatively low intensity conflict, and then find somebody saying, well, you know, this is an MOD element. You're going to go to Ukraine. You know, they're having a hard time getting manpower force. So there is a potential problem with this. But again, the primary concern from driving Russia, I believe, is their desire to have a force that is more deployable than regular Russian military and has a high level of capability, as Wagner Group did, but without the independence of Wagner Group. Russia had clear economic and strategic motives for its involvement in Africa, such as securing mineral resources, expanding its influence, undermining Western interests, and promoting authoritarian How could the U.S. help African countries who see Russian military involvement as a threat to peace and security in the continent? Yeah, this is a good question. So the countries that Wagner Group is operating in are either failed states or they're states that have undergone coups. They're basically dictatorships. So it's really hard to see how the United States and other uh, like-minded partners and allies are going to be able to engage. For example, in Mali, you know, you had a significant U.N. and French-run assistance mission for years that was trying to... To operate, you know, a counterinsurgency against Islamist guerrillas. When the Wagner Group goes in after the expulsion of the French and UN forces, what we've seen are basically massacres of um, uh, different tribes. I don't know how. It's a real challenge because I don't think that there is both the will or the capability to engage in these regimes, which are they're extremely questionable. And uh, their commitment to the goals that Western countries have, you know, in terms of good governance, those are not quite there. Uh, It seems like they're trying to win the insurgency by killing their way out of it. And that very rarely happens successfully. That was David Desroche, Associate Professor at the National Defense University, speaking with VOA Senior Analyst Mohamed El-Shinawi.
U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is planning to visit four African countries as the Biden administration tries to keep its eyes on all corners of the world while being consumed by crises in Ukraine, the Mideast, and the Red Sea. The State Department says Blinken will go to Cape Verde, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and Angola starting Sunday for talks focused on regional security, conflict prevention, democracy, promotion, and trade. The Associated Press says Blinken's Africa trip comes as the United States is increasingly nervous about its relationships on the continent. In addition, the U.S. and China are in a battle for influence throughout Africa. The ongoing African Nations Cup or AFCON underway in Ivory Coast is generating lots of talking points among soccer enthusiasts across the continent. It comes after host Ivory Coast lost by a goal to Nigeria. Egypt was held to a two-all draw with Ghana. Liverpool's Mohamed Salah got injured during the match between the Pharaohs of Egypt and the Black Stars of Ghana. Viewers Mokbil Yabaro joins us live from Abidjan to give us the latest developments. Hello Mokbil. Hello, Peter. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. And how are you? What games are we coming up this evening? Are we looking at? So, so at the moment, uh, Cape Verde and uh, Mozambique just finished out. Uh, Cape Verde won decisively 3-0, and they are at the top of their group. Uh, it's, it's very interesting, you know, when you see a small team or a small country, small island country like Cape Verde, and you think to yourself, you know, they, they ha- they're in a group with Egypt and Ghana, uh, but they've played two games and they've won both games. They beat Ghana, and now they beat Mozambique. They play Egypt in their next game, but because they have six points, they are through automatically to the next round. Um, also, 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 we have, um, in, in a little bit, a huge clash, Senegal versus Cameroon, two African giants. And at the very end of the the night, it'll be Guinea versus Gambia. So those are the other two games for today. No more minnows in African football, right? Absolutely not. Everybody's a shark. Everybody is is, is showing the, their class. Uh, we've seen it time and time again, Peter. Uh, usually you have one or two players from each respective team that plays at a high level. But nowadays, even on these smaller clubs, these smaller countries, excuse me, um, you have high-class players that are playing at the top of all different types of leagues worldwide. Now, Mugbil, tell me, what reactions did you get about the game between the Super Eagles of Nigeria and the Elephants, the hosts of Ivory Coast? Ooh, you know, I will say this. The Elephants, man, they are out and about. This is their country. They are hosting it, and they are loud and proud, wearing their jerseys everywhere. And they're also doing uh, fun things by also supporting other countries and other teams as well unless you're playing them. So in that match, you know, I, I, had, I spoke to a lot of uh, fans, Ivorian fans, and they said, look, we want to beat Nigeria. We want to beat them. And post-game, uh, they were not very happy about their score. Uh, they played relatively well. It was just that they just couldn't find the end of the net. And they're still missing their all-star striker, Sebastian Haller, who still is injured. Uh, don't, we don't know if he will be back for that last game. So hopefully he will be back to assist them in the front. What about reactions between the Pharaohs of Egypt and the Black Stars? Of course, uh, the legend Mo Salah got injured during the tournament. Uh, I know uh, that uh, Liverpool Klopp isn't too happy about that. 
Man, Peter, when I tell you, I, I saw it happen, and, and to me, it didn't look like it was a contact type of injury. Um, it just happened randomly. As everyone is running back, he just sat back down, stayed on the floor for an entire possession, and then was subbed out before the half. So hopefully we get an update on it at the moment. We still don't have an update on what's going on. Maybe he felt something and didn't want to play through it and uh, potentially injure himself further. Uh, maybe it was just a scare. We don't know yet. But uh, they definitely could have used him uh, to try to get that win against uh, Ghana. But th- the story was the entire stadium, a large portion of the stadium, the Ghanaian fans, because of, I guess, the, the close proximity between the countries, they were out and about. There were Ghanaians in the in the, the stadium was roaring, um, and Mohamed Kudus did not disappoint with two goals. Uh, some slight technical errors in the back for the defense of the Ghanaian team kind of cost them two really really big goals. Uh, they feel as though they could have came out with that victory against the Pharaohs. Now, Magbil, before you go, how are fans reacting to the tournament so far? All in all, for the most part, everybody's excited. Everybody wants to get into the games. And, you know, we've spoken about this uh, quite a few times already. Um, this is the first tournament, AFCON tournament, uh, that they're try- they try to go completely virtual, meaning that there will be no tickets sold in the stadium like there have been in the past. That was supposed to streamline and make things much easier for the process when you get into the stadium. But unfortunately, it's been very difficult because the process of buying the tickets online has been a lot challenging, uh, very challenging for some individuals. And on top of that, they don't know what other places to go and buy it from. So if you're not a local, you're having difficulty finding places. And the attendance has been questionable for the first couple of games. But yesterday, it looked really good. It seemed like the stadium was max capacity, almost max capacity. So I feel like everything is turning around into a more positive uh, perspective for the fans. So hopefully fans are able to get into the games and enjoy them because I'm sure these players also want to play um, in, in, in record numbers of African fans. Thank you very much, Mugbil. That's viewers Mugbil Yabro, who is on a special assignment to cover the African Nations Cup in Ivory Coast. And you are listening to African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clotte in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Intergovernmental authority on development heads of state have called for a ceasefire in Sudan and also urged Ethiopia to respect the territorial sovereignty of Somalia. The region has seen an escalation of tensions between Ethiopia and Somalia over a seaport agreement Ethiopia signed with the breakaway Somaliland region. Catherine Nambi reports from Kampala, Uganda. During the 42nd Assembly of Intergovernmental Authority on Development Summit in Kampala, Igad heads of state called for an immediate halt to the conflict in Sudan, which began last April. In a joint communique, heads of state from Uganda, Djibouti, South Sudan and Kenya expressed readiness to foster dialogue between the warring parties in Sudan. Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni said the leaders agreed that the devastating conflict in Sudan which has created a humanitarian crisis that has overflowed into neighboring countries, is unjustifiable. The war in Sudan, we describe it as an unjust war. When we were fighting for freedom, our anti-colonial wars were, were just wars. Because we were fighting for justice, 
and we could not get it by any other means. But uh, you have got wars, wars, everything, every small thing is war, everything is war, war. This is ideological shallowness. So therefore, we really think parties involved must stop these unprincipled wars. Ramtan Lamamra is the personal envoy of the United Nations Secretary General for Sudan. Many Sudanese also reiterated their desire for power to be handed over to a civilian government that will govern the country during a temporary transitional period pending elections. Our guns must be silenced as the war continues to pose serious threats to the unity and territorial integrity of Sudan, as well as to the security and stability of the entire region and beyond. The heads of state want a meeting between the leader of Sudanese armed forces, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, and Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo, who leads the paramilitary rapid support forces within two weeks. The IGAD leaders also pushed Ethiopia to respect the sovereignty of Somalia. This comes after Ethiopia and Somaliland signed a memorandum of understanding early this month for access to the Red Sea. Somalia considers Somaliland part of its territory and the self-governed region has never received recognition as an independent nation. The Mogadishu government has condemned the agreement. Ismail Omar Gwila, the president of Djibouti and the Igad chairperson of the heads of state and government, said Somalia requested the Igad meeting to seek help from the regional leaders. These challenges necessitate bold leadership, unwavering commitments, and a shared vision that transcends borders and ideologies. The chairperson of the African Union Commission, Mosa Faki Mahamat, expressed the IUU's commitment to work with IGAD to ensure a peaceful resolution to conflicts that threaten the already volatile region. The current tension between the brotherly nation of Somalia and Ethiopia compounds an already difficult time for the region where, despite our collective efforts, the Al-Shabaab threat remains high in Somalia and the destructive war in Sudan continues unabated. The respect of unity, territorial integrity, and sovereignty of all member states is a sacrosanct principle of the Union. Michael Hammer, U.S. Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa, has warned that the Somalia-Ethiopia tension, if not resolved, could threaten the gains made in fighting terrorism in Somalia. We have already seen troubling indications that al-Shabaab is using the MOU to generate new recruits. We urge both sides to avoid precipitous actions that could create opportunities for al-Shabaab to expand its reach within Somalia and into Ethiopia. We believe that amid ongoing security and stability concerns throughout the Horn of Africa, it is critical for governments in the region to maintain working relationships and close dialogue with each other to address shared challenges. The IGAD meeting was held on the sidelines of the Non-Aligned Movement Leaders Summit this week in Kampala. Neither Sudan nor Ethiopia attended the meeting. This is Catherine Nambi. For VOA News in Kampala.
Since January 11th, Burundi has closed its land border with neighboring Rwanda, accusing it of harboring and supporting Burundian rebels. This measure has a direct impact on trade and travel between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Burundi. Zanem Neti Zaidi has more. In the eastern DRC's South Kivu province, many travelers often go between Bukavu and Bujumbura, the economic capital of Burundi via Rwanda. This is the case of Shabani, a driver with Alpha Car Travel Agency, who has been making this journey regularly for over five years. He says his car often breaks down due to the poor state of the roads in the DRC that he now has to use to reach Bujumbura. He says there used to be a lot of customers. There used to be from 10 to 15 vehicles leaving from Bukavu. But now because of the closure of the border between Rwanda and Burundi, it's three or four vehicles. Their drivers are all afraid of the brutal road they now have to take. He says they sometimes spend the night on the road unintentionally, and that really causes a problem. Their customers are not really happy, and there are not many left. For Hippocrat Marume, a member of Savile Society working on development, peace and security issues in the region, the border closure between Burundi and Rwanda is a political decision that has not taken the interests of the people into account. He thinks this crisis should be an opportunity for the DRC government to think about the development of the country, which, in his view, is too dependent on other countries for supplies of basic necessities. He says, as a social actor, they are asking the government to start building the Bukavu Ngomo Road to enable their people to circulate freely and also to enable the restoration of the economic flow between Bukavu and Burundi so that what they earn through Burundi can keep being used for trade. Fazili Mubole, a DRC citizen, says the border closure is the result of a long diplomatic crisis between Burundi and Rwanda dating back to 2015 and it also affects neighboring countries which have not developed self-sufficiency like the DRC. He says today the Democratic Republic of Congo must understand that this crisis is a strong message reminding the Democratic Republic of Congo that it must be an independent state, a country that must develop the necessary mechanisms to be economically and socially independent. The provincial government of South Kivu is working to repair National Road Number no. 5, which Congolese and Burundians use for trade without passing through Rwanda. For VOA Africa, Amzanem Netizaidi in Goma. Nigeria's former central bank governor Godwin Emefiele has pleaded not guilty to fraud charges that include obtaining $6.2 million in bank funds under false pretenses. The former central bank of Nigeria chief is the most high-profile official to face corruption charges under the administration of President Bola Tinubu. A court official read out the 20 charges against Emefiele, comprising 14 new ones and six that he had already faced. His trial will begin next month. 
Prosecutors also accused him of twice awarding contracts to renovate the bank's official residence in Lagos to a company owned by his wife and brother-in-law, a case of criminal breach of trust. Emefiele was suspended by Tinubu last June, which led to his arrest by state security officials. The Voice of America's global news program, International Edition, brings you an in-depth look at the biggest news stories of the day. Nobody covers the world more comprehensively than VOA. Our correspondents gather the news and the views of the most seasoned experts on international issues. Tune in Monday through Friday at 3.30 and 1705 UTC on The Voice of America. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clote in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent, 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, David Vandy, and our engineer, Cedric Franklin, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Mm-hmm.